0: So to your point, those who may not be going towards loan forgiveness could still utilize save as a strategic tool while your income is lower and your payment is lower to make your effective interest rate very low, probably lower than what it is with refinancing right now. So it might not be the answer to go and refinance immediately with payments kicking back in. You might want to just see if that save subsidy is helpful.
1: Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning into the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 214 of anesthesia and pain management success. I'm super excited to bring to your eardrums today an old friend, Megan McGuire. Megan is a, she's, I'll, I'll tell you this in full honesty, I think she's one of the people in America that knows the most about student loan policies, student loan planning, and I can think a few other people, other than perhaps the Pope himself, Travis Hornsby, few other people who I would be more <laughs> excited to bring to our audience to talk about student loans, all the things that have happened in the last three years, the fact that we're going back into repayment and people now need to like figure their stuff out, and many are scrambling. Megan, thanks for being here.
0: Oh my gosh, thank you. You really uh, flattered me coming on. So I'm, I will answer any question you have for me today. <laughs>
1: Excellent. I um, So Megan and I were co-workers for a little while. I was a, a hired gun consultant at Student Loan Planner for a couple of years when uh, APM Wealth was just getting off the ground. It used to be called Quantify Planning before a little intellectual property lawsuit. But that's a tale for another day. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I had a couple days a week, and Megan did too. We were sort of we were like neck and neck, where we would see who could do the most one-hour student loan consults mm-hmm. in a day. And I would get to the yeah. point where I would start them at eight a.m. Eastern, and I would finish at like eleven p.m. with people on the West Coast. Yeah, and I would stack <laughs> sixty-minute calls. And maybe have like four minutes in between a call to either use the bathroom or (laughs) stuff some lunch in my face. I remember those days very fondly.
0: Mm -hmm. I do too. I aspired to be like you, Justin. I really wanted to beat the limit. I think you still hold the record. I don't think I ever beat your record of consults in a day, but I got really darn close. If you look back at my days in 2020, (laughs) I did the whole stacking too my workaholicness took that challenge and it accepted it.
1: <laughs> yes, that was a lot of fun. And another fun thing about student loan planning, especially when you do a fee for service engagement or you just try to pack as much helpful stuff in one hour as possible, is you have these conversations that it, it's not an exaggeration to say they literally change people's lives. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, Megan, if you think about you know I don't know how many individual student loan plans have you done for people in the last handful of years it's got to be pushing a four-figure number at this point
0: yeah oh yeah i've done i've done i think the last i checked it was about 2600 of student loan consults yeah 2600
1: individual people that you've helped with uh Mm -hmm. student loans including lots of like complicated two borrowers one's going for pslf and one's not community property Mm -hmm. not community property that's the thing that's awesome about student loan planner and by the way Anybody who has student loan questions, don't call me. Go to (laughs) studentloanplanner.com and talk to Megan. She's the real expert now. I'll take (laughs) you. The thing that I loved about being there back when I was several years ago was uh, you just see so much crazy stuff and getting to learn from a cohort of incredibly smart, they're really like financial advisors who are savvy to student loan policy. Something that consumers don't understand is that most advisors know nothing about student loans. Uh, Mm -hmm. and now I'd say in the last few years, the CSLP, the designation that is the sort of the, the best thing we have in terms of proving that somebody knows Mm -hmm. a little something about student loans is getting a little more popular, but, Mm -hmm. uh, it was like the, the blind leading the blind for a long time. And so the, uh, student loan planners work that they've done over the last few years. I've just, I felt really lucky to be a part of, had a lot of fun. Uh, Are there any individual consults for you, Megan, that stand out in your mind as far as like, that was a really fun one or a crazy one, or even like a terrible train wreck? Mm -hmm. We'll take that one too.
0: Oh my gosh. Uh, Well, I'll tell a, a positive one first. We'll keep it positive. So I had one, and this isn't even a public service loan forgiveness story. This is more like a longer term forgiveness story. So like the 20 or 25 year timeline. And so that that always seems so far away. Like that always did. Like even when we start, we were working together. That felt like so far away for so many people. I had one woman who was in and out of forbearance for years, just a single mom, you know, trying to to make enough to you know put food on the table and you know you know to work her way up in her career. And so she had a lot of forbearance on her account. She had a lot of repayment on her account too, though. But she had those FFEL loans, those older FFEL loans. And this IDR account adjustment that's going on right now is a huge deal for her. It allows her to convert those loans now into direct loans without erasing payment history, which is a big deal. And it counts all those extended forbearances too, because they were over certain thresholds. So we could certainly talk about more of that today. But I was looking at her file, counting up her payment history, counting up her forbearances. And we realized, hey, you're at like 19, almost 20 years of repayment. And she still had graduate loans. So it would have been a a 25-year graduate loans um, within the the loan file. So it would be a 25-year timeline. But she thought she was going to have so much longer. Like She really thought she was going to be dying with these loans. So... She was bawling on the call with me, like, "I can't believe you figured this out for me. I had no idea that that that's what all everybody was talking about, but she she'll be done with her loans in probably five years and she has a really affordable payment now. and it was just a big like life-changing conversation for her because she she was really down in the dumps about her options. and you know that's an example of, you know something that we can do and help with.
1: <laughs> I think. I do miss that about the student loan consults is it's such a shot of adrenaline. Yeah. Like, cause you do oh, get yeah. those. And honestly, like it's a pretty good, like a pretty high percentage of the time you can, people who come in and have no clue, you can really yeah. f- help them move the needle yeah. like six figures of, regularly in helping them mm-hmm. do something to position themselves for forgiveness or get on the right payment plan or whatever it is, or consolidate that one loan. Or, you know, there's, there's so much capacity for that. And, uh, I know I had one that was, Mm -hmm. people were you know, listening to Dave Ramsey and Dave is great for a lot of things, not investing and not student loans. Um, (laughs) and the rice and beans, you know, you're going to rub your nose in this and you're going to suffer until you've suffered enough. And, you know, that's his like whole thing. (laughs) And it's like, man, that's just not the, it's not the best way. And uh, I had somebody mm-hmm. come in who um, they were thinking like, oh yeah, we got like 12 years of paying every bit of discretionary income we have and we think we can get out. And there were forgiveness mm-hmm. opportunities that opened up and they were like, oh my gosh, now we can have kids like right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, um,
0: <laughs> yeah. See you, Justin. Well, okay, let me hang up first. You know? um, <laughs> it, but that
1: was, uh, yeah, that was financial planning is great. And I love what I do in investment management, wealth mm-hmm. management, and all the career coaching stuff we do for our clients. I love, but that just that.
0: <laughs> yeah. The like high impact all
1: the time. Yeah. I, I really miss that about student loan planning. So
0: yeah, back to back. So yeah, people who are thinking like, holy cow, how did y'all do that back to back? It's like, because every call you were like, really like people crying happy tears. Like you really feel like you're doing great work and it's addicting. It really is. (laughs) So it's a great line of work.
1: (laughs) I was hooked on the high. And, uh, (laughs) that was great. And you know, on the other hand, I had, you probably had some of these too, the, uh, like multi-generational, you've got the kid who's got Mm -hmm. some of their loans. The mom took out some loans on the kid. There's some private loans. Maybe there's like at least two generations, maybe there's like a couple people in the one generation and then somebody in the generation above them. And you're just like, oh, mm-hmm. you can- it's, it's not the grand slam. It's the, oh boy, like yeah. there's, they're going to have the long road and they have the relational component where it's like, they all owe each other money and it's family and it's <laughs> right. messy. And like Thanksgiving is going to be weird for the next 17 years and there's not much we can do about it. <laughs> those yep.
0: i do have some interesting parent plus stories too i don't oh. know if you run into to those often but i i get a lot of parent plus well because cost of attendance is going up so much like right. parent plus loans are more and more common so i get a lot of those those cases so we can touch on those if we want to today but
1: <laughs> i would love to so for our listeners everyone's going back into repayment right now we have a lot of physicians who, when they were last making payments, there was like $79 and they were residents and it was fine. They didn't really think about it. And now doctors are, if they've become an attending in the last few years, they're making good money and they're wondering what are the implications of student loan payments starting back up? So can you kind of walk us through the mechanics of what are the one or two big things that have happened in the last couple of years that would impact someone like that? And what should they be thinking about as they mm-hmm. enter repayment?
0: Yes, yeah, so we've been in a payment freeze for a very long time since March of 2020 and that means people haven't had to make payments, interest hasn't been accruing and there's also been a lot of change though. So a lot of people are starting to kind of poke their heads up and and hear about all these changes in the student loan system that are a pretty big deal. Like there's a new repayment plan that we might want to be considering. There's new provisions to PSLF that might be something to to look into. And so the first question I typically get about what should I be doing with payments restarting is, you know, do I need to change anything? Do I need to update my income? And the short answer is no. No one's been required to update their income before COVID. And it might benefit you to not update your income uh, because there's no requirement to recertify right now until 2024. So that means if you have a really low payment that you locked in, you know, back before COVID based on residency or fellowship income. You can really carry that forward all the way until your new recertification date, which is going to be sometime later on in 2024. And if you're going towards loan forgiveness, that is a huge benefit because then you just keep a lower payment for longer as we're getting to, to the forgiveness finish line. Now, a couple other things to think about is which repayment plan should you be on? So there's a new plan called SAVE. And there's the existing plan that we've known about called pay, pay as you earn, but pay as you earn is closing enrollment as of July of next year, 2024. So that means if you're on the pay as you earn plan, you can stay on it. But if you need to get on pay as you earn, you have to do that before July of next year. So then we have kind of a conversation of when should we recertify or update income it, should we be switching repayment plans? And there's a, a lot of factors that go into that. so we we could talk through like the differences and those repayment plans too. But those are some of the big like first questions maybe you should ask and then get some answers to.
1: So the fundamental binary question that we ask at the beginning of any student loan analysis is are we going for full repayment or are we going for something mm-hmm. else? In this case, we'll we'll talk mm-hmm. about PSLF because that's going to be most applicable to our audience. So most of what we're Mm going to discuss today is related to PSLF. And the one actually asterisk I would make to that is because of – can you talk a little about the save plan and the interest rate subsidy and how it may be useful Mm -hmm. for a period of time before recertifying to use the interest rate subsidy if it's huge before Mm -hmm. potentially refinancing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So save is a a, kind of a new plan. It's actually repay. It's just uh, they've changed the terms of repay and they're renaming it save. So if you are already or were already on repay, you are automatically going to be put into this save plan. No action needed on your part. But save in a nutshell, the monthly payment is going to be a little cheaper because uh, it's still based on 10% of discretionary income for graduate loans. It is 5% of discretionary income for undergraduate loans, but probably a very small, small portion of your balance, so probably negligible. But the payment is lower because there's a larger poverty line deduction that it has, so it's just taking less of your income into account. And it has an interest subsidy of kind of how Repay used to have a subsidy where it would waive 50% of any accruing interest on your balance. Save has a one hundred percent interest subsidy, so that's huge. Because we used to, and you, I know you did for sure. And your your practice is, since who you were working with, you know, folks could really take advantage of that subsidy before going and refinancing if they weren't going towards loan forgiveness. Because the alternative is, you know, if you can't make super large payments right out the gate, you know, we would go into deferment, residency deferment, or you know, forbear the loans, defer the loans, which interest accrues at whatever it is each month. So repay was a strategic way to reduce the interest cost on your loan because it waives half of anything that's accruing on the balance. But now with save, it's doing 100%. So it's even more savings, making your effective interest rate really low. So to your point, those who may not be going towards loan forgiveness could still utilize save as a strategic tool while your income is lower and your payment is lower, to make your effective interest rate very low, probably lower than what it is with refinancing right now. So it might not be the answer to go and refinance immediately with payments kicking back in. You might want to just see if that save subsidy is helpful to you or not.
1: This may also create effectively a freeze for like a resident if you're married and have two kids And have a Mm stay-at-home spouse, and you make sixty-two grand. I don't know what the poverty line would be at that, but I got to imagine your payment is like eight dollars a month if there is one.
0: Yeah, as I say, it's pretty close to that. Yeah, thousand-dollar balance,
1: (laughs) your payment is eight dollars. The total interest is Mm twenty-four grand or whatever it is, but the twenty-three thousand eight hundred of interest under the Save program Mm -hmm. is totally waived. So for any residents or fellows, yeah, or people earlier in training, if you got those federal loans doing the save plan may be worth considering because you're just going to essentially put everything on hold if your payment is very low.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Puts it on hold. The balance stays pretty much stagnant, stays at what it is. And we think this is something we still need to confirm as we're entering repayment for the first time now here coming up. But we think if you were to pay extra, kind of like I know you you really were jazzed about this strategy in the past where you, know, you could pay extra towards the repay payments in the past and have it go to principal to start to work the balance down. We think that's the same case here with the save plan, where as long as you have the required monthly payment kick in and it, we have the subsidy, you can then go in and pay extra and you are really working the balance down. Or in this weird you know, high yield interest environment for savings accounts, maybe you just throw money into a high yield savings account for now and then drop it on the balance later. So lots of strategies there, but that, that could be a strategic tool for folks to really save a lot of money on interest and not have to commit to a higher payment right off the bat either, which is a really positive thing.
1: Talk about for folks who have become an attending in the last couple of years, basically during COVID, Mm -hmm. which is probably a very tough time to (laughs) become an attending physician. Um, Gosh. Yeah. And They're trying to get to PSLF and they have a low payment and save is an uncapped plan and they got, they got to get on pay as you earn before July. Can you just kind of talk through how you would think about that as far as Mm -hmm. keeping the payment as low as possible with the right combination of different payment plan options?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. So save does not have a payment cap. And that just means that the more and more income you make, the more, the higher and higher your payment could be in the future, which may only... You know, matter in the latter part of your PSLF journey, like that's probably when your income is going to be the highest. But still, you know, if we can prevent the payment from exploding, you know, we we should and we should try. <laughs> so, one one strategy you could make is taking advantage of pay as you earn. Still, if you have access, pay as you earn or income based repayment do have payment caps, and the cap is what the standard ten year payment would be. That's what it would take to pay off the loans within a 10-year timeline. So that cap could potentially be lower than what your income-driven payment would be if you you let the income-driven pla- payment plan ride. So a strategic way to maybe switch to, to pay or to IBR for that cap would be you'd probably want to do that. You'd want to take a look at where was 2022's tax return? You know Where was that income? What's 2023's tax return income going to look like? 2022 is probably going to be lower. So it's probably going to make sense to make a switch from your current plan if you're on save right now, for example, or repay that's turning into save. It's probably going to make sense to switch to pay as you earn or income-based repayment um, before you file 2023 taxes. So you can strategically time it before you file 2023 do it as late as possible which is you know later on next or you know in the earlier months of next year so you still have like October until then with a lower payment before you have to change it and then make the the switch at that time and then that also satisfies the concern with pay not being available after July of next year so all these little timelines we have to work up against and and yeah. strategize with but hopefully that makes sense <laughs>
1: What if your income is high enough that you would be higher than the 10-year standard on pay-as-you-earn? If you're currently mm-hmm. on save, are you able to get on to pay-as-you-earn still if you're if – because you're, you would have to recertify when you switch. Is that right?
0: Mm-hmm. You do, yeah. So if your payment would already be higher than the standard 10-year cap, even off of 2022's taxes – um, or if you really delayed, you extended and you still have 2021 on file, like if it's still higher than those tax tax returns, then we wouldn't be able to switch. But save is going to be the next best option. It's going to be the cheapest. It is slightly less than what pay would have been. So maybe it's not so bad if it's the last couple of years and we don't really have an option to cap it at this point.
1: Is it still the case that for unconsolidated loans, you can still get on the 10-year standard?
0: It is, Yeah. So if, if you've never consolidated, you still have individual loans, then you can ask to be put on the standard 10-year plan or, yeah, th- that starts to get a little tricky, but yes, in theory, you could.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does get tricky. Everything about this is tricky. I, I'm sure our listeners' heads are spinning right now. With like, oh my gosh, this is so technical. I don't even know what to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Talk a little bit about, actually, let me ask a specific question just for my own mm-hmm. edification. Is n- what we're calling new IBR, that is the same as the old pay-as-you-earn, is that going to be available beyond the pay-as-you-earn kill date? Meaning, kill date. are we going to so, be functionally n- able to access what pay-as-you-earn gave us beyond July of next year?
0: Yeah, yeah with new IBR, but you couldn't as have had loans before, it. yeah, October 2014, I think is the cutoff. Yeah, so n- newer grads, maybe. But maybe not even then, because they may have been in school for a long time. So,
1: talk about Kaiser, because this has been like long <laughs> been a, a part of like drama in the student loan world, and the Kaiser docs always felt screwed, mm-hmm. and perhaps they were, and probably there were people that paid off their loans who were Kaiser physicians because they didn't think they were going to be have an opportunity of for forgiveness, and subsequent rule yeah. changes have um, amended our opinion on that. Talk about how that has developed.
0: Yes. Yes. So public service loan forgiveness, uh, one of the the very first requirements is we have to be employed directly by an eligible employer. So that means your paycheck has to come from the nonprofit or a government entity. Kaiser in California and Texas specifically, they are excluded from being able to be hired directly for a nonprofit hospital system like Kaiser. Kaiser is the biggest branch. It's not just Kaiser Uh, but they are the biggest hospital system in those two states. But state law prevents them from being able to be hired directly. So that meant that they were always not eligible for public service loan forgiveness because they were considered contractors. They were hired through a partners group, a medical group of some kind. And so to just exactly like you said, folks probably assume that they just had to pay their loans back. Well, if you still have your loans around, your federal student loans, even if they're FFEL loans, those older loans that they were issued before 2010, you can now go back and claim credit for employment at Kaiser as a contractor. So the rule change, basically, they they it's almost like they carved out this for, you know, Kaiser physicians in a sense, or these state's Because uh, they recognized that this was an issue, that you were doing the work in a nonprofit hospital system, same work that in a different state you would have gotten credit for. But since you lived in California, you weren't. And so they made this rule change on July 1. And we found out it is retroactive, where if you've been in a Kaiser hospital system, you know, working in this capacity, you can go back and get credit for all of that prior payment history. And since the IDR account adjustment is going on right now, you didn't have to have direct loans. You didn't have to be on an income-driven plan. You just had to have had loans and been making payments or you could have had extended forbearances like in school or uh, like residency forbearance, for example. So that that's a huge deal because people can now go and get credit towards PSLF and we need 120 payments or essentially 10 years of... Conse- it doesn't have to be consecutive, but if it was consecutive, 10 years of employment, and of payments on the loans to achieve forgiveness. And that credit will retain itself going into the future. So if you're not there yet, but you did have prior payment history that you can go back and count now, go back and do it because you you could be looking at PSLF now.
1: So anybody who's listening, I know you have friends at Kaiser. You got to send them this episode. You got to let them know they need to file the employer certification form They've been out of training for about mm-hmm. six years. You could literally make their day by wiping away all of the loans and you can experience what yeah. Megan and I have experienced so many times by, wow, look <laughs> on this technicality, it actually turns out that it's like a quarter million dollars in your pocket. It's a pretty good day's work. If mm-hmm. that happens, you better email me and let me know because I want to experience the joy vicariously. Yeah. Send him the screenshot.
0: I always tell people yes. to do that. Like, if you remember, send me the screenshot. I want to see it.
1: <laughs> I have had a couple clients in the last year or two, like long-term like financial planning clients. Those are the ones. And I there's a different mm-hmm. kind of like joy that comes with that because I've been on the loan. I don't know if you've yeah. ever done this, Megan. I'm curious. Like I've been on the calls with the servicers where I'm like, we're trying to, mm-hmm. I, forget, I forget the specific circumstances. They're trying to push them on to revise pay as you earn, I think. And they were on oh, IBR yeah. Yeah. or we're, we're trying to like stay on the capped plan. And I kept arguing and arguing with the, the service or representatives. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need to talk to your manager. And I had to go up three yeah. levels. I said, <laughs> I need your manager. And then I needed their manager in order to, yeah. um I think it was, they were hitting the capped, the payment cap on IBR. And they were trying yeah. to push them on a revised pay as you were. And they said, Oh, the, you don't, you're not mm-hmm. eligible for IBR anymore. It's like, well, we are. And it's the capped payment. Mm-hmm. That is the 10 year. So I was, you know, so when mm-hmm. that that one actually she got PSLF just a couple months ago, and that was one of those moments. Of
0: like, oh yeah!
1: <laughs> remember, it was like you know hours on the yeah. phone, and it's so sad. Yeah, like unless you are literally better at those people's job than they are, mm-hmm. so many people have just been shoved off into revised pay as you earn an uncapped plan your payments go way up and then you have a number of yep. years of that and it costs you tens or hundreds of thousands or if it doesn't totally obliterate your opportunity altogether mm-hmm. for forgiveness which is just a real shame yeah it's no
0: i i do remember you asking about that case actually specifically because we talked about this how um you know they send a nasty letter when you've hit that partial financial yes. hardship cap right. Yes. And it's it's so scary. They read it and they're like, oh my God, I'm not eligible anymore. And they're worried like, I'm going to get kicked out of the forgiveness plan. Like, I don't want to get, I don't want to mess up. And the the letter, it's very vague. It just says, hey, you're no longer eligible for this income driven plan. Call us. And you're thinking, oh my God, I got a call to fix this. And so people call and they're like, oh yeah, well, we can switch you to repay. And that's exactly what your client was going through. They were trying, they, they didn't have to switch. They just left it as is, kind of ignored the letter, which is also scary. Like, you never want to ignore things. But in that case, like, it's probably okay just to ignore that language. And then it would just naturally cap itself. The system would do that. So, yeah, very infuriating when you're working up against like representatives that don't have a financial background at all. They're just reading from a script. They, th- think they know how to answer questions, but they don't. So it's, uh, we could definitely sympathize with folks who who have gone through like a really frustrating service or experience.
1: So one of the key considerations, obviously, is your income and your uh, sort of your forgiveness path. Another key consideration in understanding how much am I going to pay and what kind of strategies do we need to implement is the tax filing status. So can you talk a little bit about mm-hmm. how that works? Because we haven't talked about it on the show in a long time. And then with the save mm-hmm. plan. It's a little bit different than how Repay used to handle that. So can you describe like what types of strategies mm-hmm. should people be thinking of as they're trying to keep their payments down on the way to PSLF?
0: Mhm. Yeah, yeah. So income-driven repayment of course is off of your income and it pulls from your tax return, the adjusted gross income from your tax return usually. You can submit a pay stub, but generally most applications will go off of the tax return. And if you're filing taxes jointly with the spouse, the payment is going to be based off of that joint income, which can be problematic if your spouse also earns pretty great income. And so uh, married filing separately allows you to exclude your spouse's income from the equation, which which used to not be the case with repay. Repay used to make you have to uh, include your spouse's income, which that always, to us, I feel like Kind of rubbed us the wrong way. We're like, "What? It has to. It has to include your spouse's income." So that is no longer the case, thankfully, with these new provisions. with save, you can also exclude spousal income as long as you're filing taxes separately. And so that's a strategy we'll we'll employ try, to try to you know keep the payment as low as possible. And then community property states like California, Texas, a lot of the like you know Pacific Ocean, Mexican border states. There's also, we call it the community property state loophole or the the breadwinner loophole, if you will, where in one of those states, it is community property. So your income that you make is you and your spouses for the year. So when you file taxes separately, you each have two separate tax returns. So what they do, since it's community property, is they add those incomes together and divide them in half, divided in half pretty much between the two tax returns. So you have the household average on your tax return. So if you're a physician making $400,000 a year and your spouse is staying home with the kids, it still could make sense to look at married separate because that $400,000 of income is divided between the two tax returns. So now for the student loan payment, you look like you make $200,000. And that is a legitimate way to drop the payment pretty significantly and help us get to to loan forgiveness more effectively or efficiently.
1: There's a secondary benefit of doing that in a community property state. Not only do you reduce the income that you show to the servicer, you also do it in a state that is, doesn't significantly increase the tax cost, And that's part of what makes it magic. If you're in, so mm-hmm. I'm in Oregon, Oregon is a non-community property state. So if you draw a line yeah. from new Orleans
0: to randomly, Francisco, right?
1: Basically <laughs> everything in that line and the state of Washington is all <laughs> community property, but we're like a little Island of non-community property out here. <laughs> right. So in Oregon,
0: it's like you traded with like Wisconsin because Wisconsin yeah. is one too. You're right. Randomly. Yeah,
1: the, one that, the one that we <laughs> always forget about there in the Midwest. Um, <laughs> what happens in this circumstance is if in Oregon, If I was making $400,000 as an anesthesiologist, my spouse stayed home, stay-at-home parent. If I filed taxes separately, yeah, I could exclude my spouse's income, but my tax return would show $400,000 and my taxes would probably be about Mm -hmm. $14,000 more. I'm just making up a number, but somewhere in that between 10 and 15 probably on my actual tax Mm -hmm. bill. So I get zapped on the taxes and I can't reduce my income. But if I live two miles to the north in Vancouver, Washington, And I do the same strategy. I report $200,000 of income instead of $400,000. And that extra $14,000 of taxes that I paid to the Fed goes down to zero. Or it it Mm -hmm. approaches zero. In addition to the fact that the state income tax is about 10% less, just two miles north of us, but that's a separate conversation. And so (laughs) knowing the community property lay of the land can be really valuable as you're trying to triangulate towards PSLF and understand how that can help you. Mm-hmm. In particular, yep. if and your it spouse can't hurt you either. Doesn't work outside of the home.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it it can't hurt you too because I know this sounds like you might be thinking, "Oh shoot, this could work for me," but my spouse makes so much more. I'm the one with student loans. It can't hurt you, thankfully, because it still allows you to split the income in this way. The tax return would show half of your household income, but like I mentioned before, you could submit a pay stub. And that's a legitimate reason to say your income is not reflected the, you know, it's lower, your income is lower than what the tax return shows. And that's one of the triggers for you to be able to submit a pay stub. So that's a way that you can get around it. We call that the reverse breadwinner loophole <laughs> to help I have you made up all these still funny names with for that. These things <laughs> Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Let's actually talk about that for one second. So if you are like a teacher, for example, and you're married to a doctor and you live in the Bay Area. And you took out $200,000 for your master's of ed and undergrad cumulatively. Mm -hmm. And then you just let it, you deferred, defer, defer, and never paid on it. And now you have some PSLF Mm -hmm. credit. You're going to have to exclude your high income spouse's income in order to be able to achieve PSLF affordably. So if you file separately, Mm -hmm. if you make 60 and they make 600, then you Mm -hmm. sum it to 660 and divide it by two, so 330. So in the eyes of the state, you're each assigned 330K mm-hmm. of income. But if you're that teacher, you don't want to report 330 because you only made 60. So you're mm-hmm. not going to use the tax return. You're going to use what's called an alternative income verification method, which could be the W-2, mm-hmm. could be a pay stub, could be some other... I, I think it depends on the servicer, which mm-hmm. documents they Sign will, statement. Yeah. There's like... It gets really rowdy as far as how wild west <laughs> it gets with some of this stuff.
0: Um, right.
1: <laughs> and what they will do then is they will... Because you filed separately, they'll exclude your spouse's income if you're on a payment plan that allows you to do so. For example, save. And then Mm -hmm. you can use the pay stub to say, I make 60 and not 330. And the incremental, you know, the difference between your 60 and the 330, the 270 grand (laughs) that would have been applied to you is also excluded. So this is mm-hmm. a super powerful strategy in terms of keeping your payment very, very, very low and preserving the lion's share mm-hmm. of that PSLF benefit.
0: hmm yep, yep. And that's what it's about. When, when we're going towards loan forgiveness, we wanna pay as little as possible legally.
1: <laughs> that's right, legally. Right. I guess that th- now the nice thing about this whole married filing separately on the save plan, which it's funny. Saving for a valuable education is the super corny acronym. I thought it should have been like mm-hmm. saving for an expensive overpriced education, but that is, doesn't like roll <laughs> off the tongue. Um, right. But now that you can file separately and exclude the spouse's income, there's no more moral dilemma about, because if you do mm-hmm. repay, there was this opportunity to say, I don't have access to my spouse's income numbers. Mm-hmm. And then I, I've yeah. talked to a lot of people about like, can I just say that I... Don't know how much my spouse makes. Like, well, you could, but Mm -hmm. you might go to jail or something. I don't know what would happen. (laughs) Um the full, you know, weight of the Department of Ed crush you into oblivion. I don't want Mm -hmm. that to happen to anybody. So now it's nice that they've just said, all right, we don't care, just file separately and it's all good. Makes a lot more sense, Mm -hmm. logically speaking.
0: It does. It's a lot cleaner. And I think that's kind of the moral of the story on what's going on right now in the federal system is they're trying to make things. Cleaner, more simple, straightforward for the most part. But we know that, you know, with between all these different plans, it's still not totally straightforward. But their application process is a lot easier now. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but the PSLF application is completely digital now, where you can send an electronic copy to your employer and mm-hmm. they can sign it via DocuSign and it gets wow. submitted directly to the Department of Ed. Yeah.
1: That was a happy oh day for gosh. that signed sales rep whenever he signed the Mohila up for <laughs> <Right>. that. <laughs> he, he took right. his family out to a nice dinner.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, and it is it is lovely because it used to be such a clunky process. You'd, yeah. you'd be advised to do it through the website still, but it still made you print out a form and you had to take it to work to get a physical signature and then you'd upload it. Then they'd lose it. It was horrible. Um, and then processing times were like two or three months or more to get your payment count updated. But now with the electronic signature, we've literally seen that payment count get updated within two to three days. Whoa. Yeah. That's wild. I right? did not know that happened. I mean, for somebody <laughs> who's to so used
1: to operating in the like we're counting months, that is like shocking warp <laughs> right.
0: speed. Yeah. Wow. So I think they're they really have upped their game on their processes. Oh, you might like this too. The uh, consolidation or income driven application used to make your spouse sign off on the application regardless of if you've filed jointly or separate. And it would use the word cosign, like your spouse has to co-sign your application, which was confusing because you're not obligated to those loans at all. They recently changed that to where you, all you have to do is tell this or plug in the the spousal information, like name social that would match the tax return. Spouse no longer has to sign off on it. It's amazing. Like all these horrible, clunky processes that people used to go through. They're really trying to streamline it. Thank goodness. It's about time. It's
1: (laughs) only taken 11 years since 20, whenever the last time they overhauled this was.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Are there any other like tidbits or new changes or things happening in the next 12 months that you think listeners in this cohort Mm -hmm. may find of interest?
0: So one we talked a little bit about consolidations and I just mentioned the cons- consolidation application something really big we've been finding is a lot of people have gone to school during different time periods in their life like maybe they started undergrad took a couple years off then went to you know med school and you know continued their education so with that being said there could be loans that you have on your loan file with different payment counts towards PSLF potentially, or towards longer-term forgiveness. And if you consolidate before the end of this year, so before 2023, the end of 2023, and that just means submitting an application, the consolidation doesn't have to be done by the end of the year. We just have to get it submitted. The payment count will be rounded to the highest payment count that any one of those loans has. So I'll give you an example of how impactful this is. I had a physician client who had those old FFEL loans from the literally the 80s, right? The 80s. And they had also been working in on and off in public service, but they had a lot of payment history on that old FFEL loan. They went and borrowed parent plus loans for their kids to go to school. You know, parent plus loans are federal loans that you can borrow for undergraduate students.
1: I love and where this is going.
0: They yeah. Yep. you already know where it's going. So the the kid graduated in twenty eighteen, something like that, and all of this stuff starts coming out, and she reaches out to us because she thinks her older graduate loans can get forgiven now because she's had both like IDR forgiveness credit and possibly PSLF credit. So she really called about her own graduate loans, and she's like, "Oh yeah, and I've got these Parent Plus loans. They're they're a lot, but I'll plan on paying them back." And it was like it was like two hundred thousand of Parent Plus loans.
1: That are those are and her
0: graduate loans, yeah, seven eight percent interest rates, and her her balance that was left it was like forty something. It wasn't a lot left. I'm looking at her loan file and I'm like, you know, if we consolidated all these loans together, they would all get all of that payment history that your graduate loans had, and the whole balance could get forgiven right now. Even though those 2018 loans have never really been in repayment because we've been in COVID you know, that, that was my first time like seeing it after seeing all this new language change. Yeah. And I'm like reading the language over and over again. Like, is this really how this could work? And sure enough, it worked that way. We consolidated oh, her gosh. loans and she literally got tax-free forgiveness for her whole balance, including the more recent Parent PLUS loans that she thought she was going to be paying back for another 20, 30 years. Oh, my Isn't that gosh. wild?
1: That's <laughs> another one of those ones where you're like... You just hang up the cleats at the end of the day and pat yourself on the back and say, <laughs> "I made the world a better place today."
0: Yeah, <laughs> but this—that's a very extreme example. But this yeah. is definitely still Did she get applicable any money to back phys-
1: from overpayment.
0: So no, because her FFEL were commercially held loans, okay. so we couldn't have gotten any refunds on commercially held. That would have been like the Superman case. If there, there. Was like I was twenty just...
1: years of payments refunded.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 That would have been amazing if if she had direct loans. That that could have been the case potentially, but no. So yeah, very very interesting, very nuanced. But it could totally be applicable to anybody who has payment history in the past on older loans that the newer loans may not have. And so we're seeing physicians get a couple extra years towards PSLF because they took a year off and worked in a hospital for a year, or worked at the school for. 24 months until they went back to grad school. So like, that's a big deal when you add up how much those payments would have been if you had to keep paying for two more years, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah. So anybody who needs to talk to Megan, now that you know what kind of magic <laughs> she can perform,
0: go studentloanplanner.com. <laughs> you can
1: uh, request a booking with her in particular, probably. I understand that bookings are, cr- I mean, mm-hmm. payment is, payments are starting back up. So you probably have to wait a few months. Mm-hmm. But it would be well worth it. Don't talk to me because I don't do this anymore unless you're already a client. Then lucky you. I, I will figure all this <laughs> out for you. But couldn't highly couldn't recommend Student Loan Planner highly enough. Megan and the rest of the team are all just, they spend all their time doing this stuff. And it's changed so fast. Mm-hmm. I was telling Megan before this call, I feel like I need to get up to speed now in the last three years. They, they do an awesome job. So Megan McGuire, thank, thank you very much for your time. This was a lot of fun for joining us on the podcast today.
0: Oh, my gosh. Thanks for having me so much, Justin.
1: (laughs) Maybe we'll bring you back again sometime. It was just so much fun.
0: Oh, this was fun. Yeah. Hey, I'm down.
1: (laughs) If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to APMSuccess.com, where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.